Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for mankind in the Twilight Zone. About time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes.
broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert. I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings Radio. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email rdgable at yahoo.com or tstradio at protonmail.com. Those are the two emails. Find us on Twitter or Facebook, our only two social media websites. And of course, our website for the show, www.thesecretteachings.info. And the tech geniuses over at Aftermath are in the process of redoing our website, so you'll see some changes in the next couple of weeks. I'm not sure when those changes go live, but they're going to do a really good job, I suspect, based on Clyde's website over on Ground Zero. If you're just joining us from Ground Zero, welcome to The Secret Teachings. It is Monday, March 6th, 2023. For those of you who are still unaware, The Secret Teachings Archive is free on our website. It's free anywhere you listen to radio shows or podcasts. And we are shifting the subscription archive over to Aftermath. You can keep your old subscription. I, I think it actually saves you a few dollars if it's the yearly. So you don't have to switch it over. But if you do, that's the, the new way to do it over on Aftermath. And all of that will be in transition for some time as everything gets set up. If you have any questions about that, you can email the Aftermath team or email me and I'll send the email to them. Otherwise, one last quick thing to mention a couple of people already have donated to our conference fundraiser for Contact in the Desert this year. And I will be doing a, a couple of thank you shows in the future once we hit that $500 mark. You know, it pays for our travel to get to the conference. We don't have sponsors or anything like that. We've been doing this for 14 years, probably two to three times longer than the, the average popular person who pays a bunch of money for bots on their accounts on Twitter and you know, like the edge of wonder boys. And I don't want to get into naming names, but people that sell you a lot of fake garbage. So you've always supported us. I really appreciate that. We've already got some people that, uh, donated a couple of dollars here or there. And I, of course, sincerely appreciate that. Uh, we have some autographed books. We have some autographed show logos that are going to be framed. And a few people have already expressed interest in some of the old, uh, equipment from the studio. If you like to collect things like that, we've got like some, uh, a mouse, we've got a keyboard, if you're interested in that, otherwise, you know, we have some other stuff. So just check that out on Facebook. We have a post that I've pinned to my Facebook page with all that information. It is, as I said, Monday, March 6th, 2023. We are approaching the Ides of March. Apparently, I didn't know this, but the Ides of March is based on what social media says. It's now a conspiracy theory. I didn't know that. You know, I just thought the Ides of March, Julius Caesar and, you know, the the history of that and the conspiring and the backstabbing and a lot of important events happen around the Ides of March that could be linked to this deeper underlying occult or esoteric date, some kind of deep underlying significance. I didn't realize it was a conspiracy theory, though. At least that's what social media has has informed me of it's a, it's a conspiracy now the ides of march it's it's actually historical uh in in scope but you know the algorithms say otherwise so i was thinking about that i was reading about that and i came across an article from gizmodo about japan and how japan has a lot more islands than they originally thought that they had according to gizmodo japan's island count has more than doubled 
There are 14,000 islands in its newest mapping surveillance surveillance endeavor. Japan discovered it has 7,000 more islands than previously thought thanks to this advanced mapping technology. The Geospatial Information Authority of Japan, the GSI, found 14,125 islands during its surveillance, a huge difference from the 6,852 islands it recorded in 1987. Now, these are not necessarily big islands that a huge population could move to. A lot of these are smaller islands. And back in the 1980s, a lot of the islands were thought to be one big island because there were so many little ones and the scanning technology wasn't as sophisticated as it is today. So back then they thought that there were a lot less islands. There were actually a lot of islands, but they they kind of grouped a lot together because the scanning technology didn't differentiate between, uh, you know, distances uh, under a certain, uh, I don't know how many miles or, you know, where all these islands exactly are, but some are really tiny, some are a little bit bigger. And the reason I bring this up is because it was like, when I read that, I thought that sounds really similar to the the research of someone um, named Bjorn Lomberg. Uh, Bjorn Lomberg is a environmentalist. He's an author. He's a really good environmentalist. And he's written a couple of really fantastic books on, I don't want to say climate change, but on the climate, on the environment. And he shows with official government statistics that the world that we perceive as being so bad and so negative and we're running out of resources and all these types of things is actually quite the opposite of that. We, we have more resources today, depending on the resource, more resources today with more people than we had back in uh, the 50s, 60s, 70s, etc. And a lot of the reason for that is, well, number one, we recycle certain things. Recycling is not always a scam. We recycle certain things, you know, metals, for example. And when we recycle those metals, of course, we can reuse them so we don't tap into, you know, the earth reserves, if you will. Another reason is because we have new technology that allows us to do more research out in the real world. And that technology can help us to find new materials and additional materials. And that could be metals. It could be anything could even be oil a lot of oil wells are only tapped to a certain percentage and then they're just left and we're not going to talk about the the fact that oil might be a very renewable resource i mean it is by its very nature but the idea that oil wells actually fill back up after they've been tapped but a lot of oil wells i think they're like 60 percent tapped and then they just move on and with new technology they can get down and get even more of the oil at least this is the idea of, of of what is um, I, I've, I've never worked on an oil rig. I don't know how it works, but, you know, based on the, the official narrative of all this, this is what's going on. So that's kind of interesting. That means we have a lot more oil and we have a lot more resources than we, we think we have. And it's the same thing with population. Back in the 1950s, all the environmentalist groups with very politically minded angles, a lot of them probably connected to big corporations and big banks as well, A lot of those groups told us, you know, like the World Wildlife Fund and you go and you read these, you know, environmentalist magazines or books or professors and they talk about how the world's going to end and we're going to run out of food. We have billions more people, more than double the amount of people today than back in the 50s. And yet we have 
not only more food today, we have so much food today that in parts of the world that are developed, like the United States, we throw out almost half of the food that we buy on average. And even with the food that we keep, 60%, what we consume is greatly more than what the average person consumes even in some developed nations, but certainly in middle of the road and, of course, in undeveloped nations, that, that we have so much abundance and so much food and so many resources, I mean, whether it's metal, it's oil, it's food, whatever the case is, and we have so many more people on the planet today. And, of course, there was that, that study about the, uh, the reefs recently uh, in Australia and how the, the growth on these coral reefs is actually more than they've recorded in, in years and that the quote-unquote sun bleaching is just a natural occurrence, uh, or the what they call it ocean bleaching, sun bleaching. It's a natural occurrence, and then the coral grows back. And it's actually health. The coral reefs are actually healthier today than they've been in years. But they only report media professors at universities with political angles, with angles that are backed by corporations or banks or whatever. They only report the really negative stuff. And so that's what this story about these Japanese islands reminded me of. It reminded me of the fact that we have a lot of resources, and if we just use them and we don't adapt, we don't recycle, we don't find new ways to extract them or new ways to, to try to search for more resources, yeah, we'll eventually run out. But we don't do those things. We adapt, we uh, extract more, we find more. I mean, we have more reserves of, of certain kinds of metals today than we did back in, the, back in the 70s or 80s, even though we've used a lot more and we continue to use a lot more. Context is a really important thing here. Same thing with trees. I don't know if you've ever read this, but the Washington Post reported a couple of years ago about how there were a lot more trees on planet Earth than was originally assumed. We, we thought there were... Billions of trees, some people might have thought there were trillions of trees, but, you know, generally speaking, you look outside, depending on where you live, and you see a lot of trees. I mean, imagine trying to count all those trees. They, they probably do it by, you know, square mile and how many trees on average, and then they multiply that by, you know, the, the, mile, the square mileage of a, of a forest here or a forest there. They add it all together. You know, you can't, you can't get really speci you know, specific, but you can get kind of general about how many trees are on planet Earth. And the, the estimate was millions. Now the estimate is in the trillions. And researchers estimate, this was as of 2015, roughly, uh, late 2015, 2016. Scientists have discovered the world contains dramatically more trees than previously thought. They estimate now, this is according to a Nature article uh, and published by the Washington Post, that there are over 3 trillion trees on planet Earth. That's a lot more than the previous estimate of a few hundred million, which seems really, really, uh, really, really sensitive, really, really conservative. So trillions, it's probably a lot more than that, but they estimate 422 trees could be given to every single person on Earth as of 2015 population numbers, so billions of people. And, and then it's funny because if you look at the number of those trees and then you calculate how much CO2 they absorb and I mean, the, the average person who just lives a, a basic life in the developed world, uh, most of their carbon emissions are consumed by those 422 trees on average. And, and most of the world isn't as fully developed as the United States in terms of consumption and, and in industry. 
So most of the rest of the world, you know, if you take someone from an undeveloped country, et cetera, their carbon footprint footprint is substantially lower than the Chinese or here in America. So it, it balances out. And none of those those tree numbers get plugged into the official estimates of what is happening to the climate or the environment. But all this is really, really important. All this context is important because in the case of Japan, with all these new islands, the Geospatial Information Authority of Japan, they found 14,125 islands during its recent surveillance. And that's as opposed to 6,852 back in 1987. So those islands didn't just appear. They were always there, but it took new methods of observation and science to find them. In the same way that if you read Nature or any of these other mainline publications, they'll tell you hurricanes are not getting worse. They're not getting more dangerous or more destructive. Uh, A lot of it has to do, of course, with the bullseye effect. If you have really expensive houses on the water and then a hurricane hits that area, the eye wall directly, and those houses are destroyed, you know, if you have a million dollar house, that's a million dollars in damage. But if you just have a couple of shacks on the water that are worth a few thousand dollars, the damage isn't as bad. Even if the hurricane was the same wind speed, sustained wind speed, same pressure, same rainfall, same everything. It's based on the estimate of the value of the property, what's in the property. Things are more expensive. We value things at, at different rates depending on where we are in the country. You know, I can live uh, on St. Pete Beach a lot cheaper than I can live on Martha's Vineyard. It's both on the water, both susceptible to flooding, both susceptible. I mean, Martha's Vineyard, not not as much to hurricanes, but uh, it's it's possible uh, that a hurricane could hit Martha's Vineyard. It's just not as common. So, But these are the kinds of things that when you take into consideration, you realize... A lot of this is just how we view it. And nature and others have, have shown that recently, actually, that hurricanes are only more intense perceptually because we have new methods of observing them. In the same way that Japan doesn't have thousands of more islands that just popped up overnight. Uh, they, they just, um, they just uh, things that just popped up out of the ocean. Uh, they were always there. But with new technology, now we can observe them. With new technology, we can observe those islands. With new technology, we can, and and new estimates, of course, we can uh, estimate more trees. We can have, even though it's always been there, we can have more resources, even though we're using more resources, whether that's metal or oil or whatever the case might be. There's no peak oil. That's a manufactured situation. That was a manufactured hysteria. Peak oil. There's no peak oil. There's no peak resources. We have more resources than we need. But this is all the basis for fear and hysteria focused on issues of not just climate, that's a side effect, but of population. And population comes in a variety of forms. For example, if you go to New York City, some of you might live in New York City, some of you might have at least traveled to New York City. I've been there one time to the big city. New York City has a population, and it obviously varies, but generally speaking, a population of about 8.5 million people. So 8.5 million people, that's a lot of people. But if you were to compare that to Wuhan, China, just picking a city that has become very popular in the last couple of years, Wuhan, China has 11 million people. So there are millions of more that live in Wuhan than New York City. But, you know, the thing is, New York City, 
is considered one of our biggest, most populated cities. Wuhan is considered one of the smallest, least populated cities of China. That's, of course, relatively speaking. Some of their cities have far more than 11 million people. But just think about that from the perspective of someone who's concerned of of population, who's concerned about crowding and there being too many people, Consider the fact that one of the least populated cities in China has about 3 million more people than one of the most populated cities in the United States. That's, that's an important thing to ponder, to, to just kind of bounce that around in, in your head. It's a really important piece of information because it's not that it's relative, per se, but contextually the most populated part of the United States or one of the most populated parts of the United States has less people than some of the least populated parts of other countries. Now, it also depends on, you know, uh, cities like Jacksonville, Florida, for example, one of the biggest by square mile. But you look at a city like Boston, Boston actually has a relatively small population, depending on how far you, you know, expand the bullseye to the surrounding areas around Boston. And it's the same thing everywhere. Los Angeles, if you expand the, you know, from Los Angeles, from the city, it's about 4 million people. But if you go out beyond that, you're going to get a lot more people. A lot of this, just like those houses on the water, when a hurricane hits, it has a lot to do with the context of how we value that property. How many, how many miles are we going to expand our, our graph to see how many people live in, in, in the surrounding area, in the suburbs. That matters a lot when we're talking about hurricane damage. That matters a lot when we're talking about population. And I've said for a very, very long time, I wrote it in my book, The Technological Elixir, five years ago. If you're interested in that book, it's a massive book, by the way. You can read reviews on our website, www.thesecretteachings.info. It deals with black goo, transhumanism, artificial intelligence, the music industry, uh, pop culture, uh, just I guess more so it starts with the philosophy of artificial intelligence and things like that. But in the book, I talk about population and the difference between overpopulation and overcrowding. You know, if you you were to define, for example, overpopulation, we'll look up the word in a dictionary, we look up the word online, you get a very kind of similar definition. Overpopulation means that there are basically too many people living on planet Earth and that uh, because of so many people, there aren't enough resources to go around. But we know that is 100% non-factual. That is 100% false. There are plenty of resources to go around. Uh, Whether that's precious metals or that's oil or whatever the case is, there's plenty of resources to go around. Just objectively speaking, there isn't an overpopulation problem because if you've ever driven across the country, across the United States, if you've ever driven from Florida to Arizona or Texas, if you've ever driven from New York to Los Angeles, from Seattle or anywhere in Oregon or Idaho down to the the southwest or the southeast, virtually the entire drive depending on where you're driving to, whether you know, unless you're going through Austin or you're going through, maybe you're going through Indianapolis or you're going through, you know, Portland or something, you know, 
Phoenix, unless you go through one of those cities, there is nothing. It is just open. And of course, people say, well, that doesn't matter because not everybody can live in those areas because that's owned by the government. That's private property. But that's not the point. The point is to suggest that the world is overpopulated. We don't have enough space. We don't have enough resources is false. There's plenty of resources, as we've already shown. There's plenty of space, as you can now see. The big issue is actually overcrowding. And there's a huge difference because overpopulation means that governments or non-governmental bodies, corporations, banks, etc. get to decide how to rearrange the world. And of course, part of that rearrangement means that some people need to, well, they're, they need to be made obsolete. Overcrowding, on the other hand, is not a problem that governments can tackle with the same authoritarian fist or boot. Overcrowding is an issue of city planning. In fact, overcrowding is the issue that governments, local governments, state governments, should actually be dealing with. They shouldn't be attached to the federal government, which is attached to the World Health Organization or the United Nations or the World Economic Forum. They should be trying to figure out how to make a city more navigatable or how to make a city less congested. That's literally one of the only jobs that a local government has. You know, maintaining the streets and the bridges and the infrastructure, making sure that people can get around, filling the potholes in the road, etc. So overcrowding is the presence of more people or things in a space that is, well, comfortable or safe even. That's the issue we have. It's an issue of overcrowding, but only in some places. And of course, the, the weird thing is, if you live, say, in, I don't know, in Boise, Idaho, I lived in Boise, Idaho. There's, there's quite a few people there, more and more people there now than when I lived there a few years ago. But generally speaking, Boise's not really overpopulated or overcrowded. There's plenty of room, there's plenty of space, and the city's kind of expanding because of that at a, at a rapid rate because so many people are moving there. But the rest of Idaho is pretty barren. But even if you're sitting in Boise and you're and you're looking at news reports, say, oh, show the crowded people in New York or Tokyo, then you have this assumption, oh, the world is overpopulated. But then you look out your window and it's not really happening in your city, but it's what's happening on TV. And that becomes the doctrine, the dogma that becomes the religion. The world is not overpopulated. The world is overcrowded in some areas. And that is a city planning issue. That is an issue of really a distribution-like issue. Now, the same thing is happening in Japan. Japan, since it's a chain of islands, has limited space. The problem is, Japan, like most places, has a majority of its people congregating in one area. And that would be Tokyo. Tokyo has one of the highest concentrations of people in the world. In fact, they always use Tokyo... In those documentaries about how overpopulated the world is, how we're killing the world, they always use Tokyo as an example of how overcrowded the world is or how overpopulated the world is. And it's just it's just a perception. There are 13.9, say about 14 million people in Tokyo. It's a lot of people. But does that mean that Japan is overpopulated? No. In fact, Japan, according to recent numbers, has the lowest birth rate recorded in over 100 years. The population in Japan is declining. Older age, less people being born, but overcrowded cities. What's going on there? We're going to find out tonight on The Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable. More after this. Don't go anywhere.
From para-history and the paranormal to the parapolitical and para-occult, you're listening to The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings. You know you can listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on Ground Zero Radio. I don't need it. Or in the free archive on our website, thesecretteachings.info, or on any radio or podcast player or application. I don't need it. But you can also subscribe to our ad-free archive, now hosted by Aftermath.media. Definitely don't need it. There's the basic and premium option. You get the montages, my digital books, and more. For those of you who already have a Secret Teaching subscription, you can still keep that subscription. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info or aftermath.media and subscribe today. I need it! If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana? Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir. Or if that's not enough, check out Good Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings, but most importantly, it supports you. Hello folks, this is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows with your host, Ryan Gable. I hope you find it enlightening. By the way, if you thought New York City or Wuhan, China had a lot of people, 8.4, million New York City, 11 million in Wuhan. New York City is one of the most populated cities in the United States. Doesn't hold a candle to Wuhan, one of the least populated cities in China. Take Beijing, for example. There are 22 million people in Beijing. That is more than double the number of people living in New York. That is more than double the number of people living in Mexico City, which is more than New York City. 9.2 million people. And if you want to really, really look at a, a towering, lumbering population, just take a look at a city that has more than Beijing. More than 22 million people would be the city of Shanghai. The city of Shanghai has 25, and this was as of a few years ago, 25 million people living there. Now, once again, the thing is a matter of context and relativity and perspective, because depending on how far you expand the population bubble, you get more people. If you go to Los Angeles, there's 4 million people living in LA. But LA is really crowded because you have a lot of surrounding Areas. Same thing with Phoenix. Phoenix is actually relatively small, but the surrounding areas, you get a lot more people. It's a much more populated area. So that's that's one thing to consider. 
is the perspective of, of how much of the area is being looked at in the same way that when we look at a hurricane that hits Florida, if it hits a wealthier area, then relatively speaking, that wealthier area is going to have more damage because there's more things there that cost more money. And that money that, you know, the economic aspect of it, we, we calculate there's this, there's X, Y, Z amount of damage done, but it could be the same type of a storm that hits a lower income area and it's not going to have as much damage because we determine these things in economic terms. It, it, it is a, it's not so much a relative thing, but it's a matter of perspective and context. And, and we need the details to understand this. 8.4 million New York City, New York City is overcrowded, overpopulated. But when you get down to the, to the, the data of it, if you will, and, and you see videos of New York City is usually one and Tokyo is another one. New York City and Tokyo are always used videos and pictures and stock footage, B-roll of how overpopulated the world is. When in reality... New York and Tokyo can't hold a candle to Beijing and Shanghai. And, and on occasion, perhaps you see something in Beijing, you see a video or something from Beijing, but it's usually Tokyo and, and New York City. And one might wonder why that is. Well, why any big city would be looked at in that way when there's so much additional area, there's so much additional space where people could disperse. Just this morning, there was an article out about the country of Japan. And how Japan, many officials in Japan, are saying that Japan is probably at some point in our lifetime, you know, what we know as Japan is going to disappear. Not because of rising waters and climate change, but because Japan has an emergency population crisis. The falling birth rate in Japan, it just keeps going down every year, has now prompted the Prime Minister, Fumio Kishida, to issue a very dire warning to the world and also to, of course, the Japanese people. Masako Mori said that the country is going to disappear if the fallen birth rate is not arrested soon. Japan's birth rate is one of the lowest in the world. In 2021, the fertility rate, which indicates the number of children a woman will have during her lifetime, fell to 1.30. 2.1 based on these numbers, is required to maintain just a stable population. Japan's birth rate is almost half of what you need to just maintain a, a, a basic population, death, birth, etc. And of course, if you don't have immigration, which there isn't a lot of that in Japan, they're very strict, this causes a lot of, a lot of issues. Japan's life expectancy is among the highest in the world, though, probably be a worse problem if it wasn't with one in 1500 over a hundred years old, one of the highest life expectancies in the world. Okinawa was one of the, one of the prime places for that. The proportion of people 65 or older is more than 29% of the entire population. Japan's also one of the safest countries in the world. And up until more recently was one of the healthiest, probably still is one of the healthier countries in the world. Last year, About twice as many people died as were born in Japan. There were 800,000 births in the entire country, all the islands. But 1.58 million deaths. 
Now, how they determine these numbers, not just statistically, but in regards to what makes uh, a person Japanese, because traditionally the Japanese have looked at the rest of the world as most countries have as inferior to themselves. They have a superior culture, etc. But it's also well known in the business world that if you don't conduct business in Japanese, then they don't take other languages seriously. And an agreement you make in English doesn't really they don't they don't see it as if, if they don't uh, abide by that agreement, they don't see that as immoral or unethical because it's not done in Japanese, the superior language. This is just a culturally traditional thing. It's it's changed a lot since the early 2000s and the 90s, but this is still kind of part of that Japanese identity. And so the Japanese people, probably not a lot of the younger generation, but a lot of the probably the older generation more so, you know, and, and, and older generation, one of the biggest in the world, but also dying rapidly and the birth rate's not keeping up with that. So you have a rapidly changing culture. But what exactly makes a Japanese person? That's obviously a piece of information that that we would need, because if you go to Japan, you live there your entire life, you know the language, you do business there. You weren't born there and you didn't have two Japanese parents. You're not technically Japanese. So I don't know how the government of Japan looks at this information, because you could have you could have a Japanese mother or Japanese father. But if you're the other parent is, you know, Korean or if the other parent is American or whatever, a lot of Japanese don't consider you actually Japanese, even if you're half Japanese. It's kind of like with the Jews, right? If you're Jewish, you know, you have to have the Jewish mom. But if you don't have the Jewish mom, even if your dad is completely Jewish, but your mom's a Gentile or a Goyim, then you're not actually technically Jewish. It's kind of like that. So a large population explosion, although we're told this is happening all over the world, is not happening in Japan only 800,000 births last year, 1.58 million deaths. Uh, so there, the, the percentage of people having children there is, is, and there's a lot of reasons for the percentage of people that aren't having children, which is much higher than those who are. The issue here, there's a lot of issues, but the main issue here is that obviously 800,000 births compared to 1.5 million deaths, eventually, you know, things are become critical, which is essentially where they're at. But the weird thing is the population of Japan is mostly concentrated, like anywhere else, in big cities. Like Tokyo, for example. Tokyo has 14 million people. That's almost twice as many as New York City. That's a lot of people. It's still nothing compared to, <laughs> compared to Shanghai or Beijing. All the islands of Japan... There's only about 125 million people that live there. That's less than half the population of the United States. 125 million people, 14 million of which live in Tokyo. And some of the other big bigger cities in Japan have likewise, you know, large population, just like New York or Mexico City has almost 10 million people. Wuhan, China has 11 million people. Beijing has 22 million people. It's a lot of people. Not a lot of people compared to the rest of the world. There's only about 125 million citizens of Japan, and, and not all of them are even, I guess you could say, technically Japanese. It's a very small number of people. I mean, I guess you could say the same thing about, uh, about a lot of small countries. But just taking that into consideration, thinking about this, Japan has a limited amount of space, but most of their people are living in these big cities. Same thing with, with I mean, any everything is really limited, you know, to planet Earth or to a continent, you know. 
but most of the people in Japan are living in these big cities. And if you look at the rest of the islands and they just actually, you know, officially they discovered uh, thousands of more islands than they thought that there were not big islands, but, uh, you know, enough small islands to, uh, according to the Geospatial Information Authority of Japan, they found 14,125 islands during its recent surveillance. That's different than the 6,852 they found in 1987. It's not because the new islands appeared. It's just because new technology and they can be more specific about the analysis. So there's, there's a lot of land. I'm not saying people are going to live on these teeny tiny islands in, in, in the middle of the middle of the ocean off the coast of bigger islands. But there's a lot more space, a lot more land, just like we have a lot more resources and we have a lot more people because we have new methods of extracting resources, new methods of uh, of utilizing those resources. Things become more efficient, etc. So they find a lot more islands, you know, that, that make up the country of Japan. And that's a really important piece of information, because while these islands are being discovered and while the birth rate is declining and the death rate is probably pretty steady, but of course increasing because they have one of the oldest populations in the world because generally the health has been so good. This is a crisis. But as we hear every night on the news, we see in every newspaper, magazine, uh, virtually everything you listen to or hear or consume, entertainment, media, whatever, is about how the world is really overpopulated. But that's not the case in Japan. They're not overpopulated. They have a declining population. Like in, They're in an emergency situation as a country. But they still have this very overcrowded city or number of cities, but especially Tokyo, that makes it look like the whole country is overpopulated. Do you see where I'm going with this? Same thing with like, look at New York, 8.4 million, then drive to the Midwest. There, there's, there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. Now, you know, if we're talking about the specifics of that place where there's nothing, all that land, maybe it's farmland, a business owns it, but that's not the point. The point is we're told that the world is overpopulated. Overpopulation means that there aren't enough resources or space. Overcrowding, on the other hand, means there's more people in a place that is comfortable or safe. Tokyo has an overcrowding problem. Japan has a birth rate decline problem, but they don't have an overpopulation problem. Similar kinds of things are happening all over the world, in the United States as well. We don't have an overpopulation problem here. We have plenty of resources. More than any other nation, we have so much wealth here, we don't know what to do, to do with it. We're like SpongeBob with the pretty patties. We, we tried giving it away. We burned it. We shredded it. We don't know what to do with it. We squander it. We waste it. But we have an overcrowding problem. Mexico City has an overcrowding problem. New York City has an overcrowding problem. Orlando has an overcrowding problem. You know? Chicago. Baltimore. Overcrowding problems. And it's just human nature to congregate in a, in a single place and then to expand from around where the resources are, whether that's, you know, the Great Lakes or that's the ocean or whatever, wherever it is. Shanghai is, is, a, is a great example of that. Uh, look at all the, I mean, you could pick up hundreds of cities. Just look up all these cities that have these big populations. That's where most of the world's populations live. Look at India. But then you look at Africa as a continent. Africa is just like, you could fit multiple full countries of the United States into Africa. It's so big. There's so much land and there's so many resources in Africa. How is it that a backyard garden could feed me and most of my neighbors, but Africa, which is about, I don't know, it's, it's several times larger than the United States, 
can't even feed their own people. Where are the environmentalists on this, or the conservationists, or the ecologists? These are really important questions. That this, this context matters a lot. So my question tonight, this is the inspiration for the show. How is it that Japan has a very, very low birth rate, but recently, very recently, within the last 12 months, as their birth rate has fallen to a record low, and that was just reported this month of March. There was an article on the 1st of March, uh, the 6th of March today. Japan has a real population problem. Not every city. There are some cities where things aren't as bad, but generally speaking, we're going to get into the reasons for that. Yet, Japan is actually moving some government offices off of the main larger islands onto smaller islands because there's just too many people. Also, last year, into this year, 2023, the government of Japan said, and they've done this in some other places and they've tried this at other, at other times, Tokyo is so crowded that we will pay you to leave Tokyo. Earlier this year, end of last year, Japan is offering to pay families to move out of its overcrowded capital in order to revitalize the countryside, you know, the towns, etc., little tiny towns, bigger towns, even some small cities, and boost the falling birth rate. Starting in April of this year, this recent incentive next month will take effect. Families in Tokyo or the metropolitan area of Tokyo, including those uh, headed even by single parents, will be eligible to receive a million yen, or 7,700 U.S. dollars, per child if they move to less populated areas across the country, according to the central government of, of Japan. It kind of reminds me of um, of Seinfeld. Remember when Kramer was taking care of those, uh, what were, they, were they like a Japanese tour or something, and they went to the, <laughs> went to the store? And he's like, how much would this hat cost in your country? He's like, 10 million yen. He's like, oh, then these are basically free then <laughs> in America. So a million, they're going to give you a million. It's $7,700 per child. So if you have a family of two or three, that's, that's quite a bit of money. Twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, somewhere around there, depending on how many kids you have. Even one kid, 7000 bucks. it's quite a bit of money. It might not be enough to, you know, uh, I guess if you sold your place and got money for that and took the government money and moved out. You know, for some people, this this probably works. Uh Someone like me, if I was living there and they offered that kind of money, it would work for me, probably. Uh, the incentives apply to children under the age of 18 or dependents. Even if you have an, a dependent, 18 or over, they're still giving the money. They just get out of Tokyo. It's too many people. It's just a very crazy thing to think about. A country that has such a small birth rate, 800,000 people born last year and 1.58 million people died. They're in an, an emergency situation to preserve their culture, their heritage, to preserve the country itself. And Tokyo is always used as this image of the world's overpopulated, but they have so few people being born, and yet they're still so overpopulated, i.e. overcrowded, that they're paying people to leave the big cities. And they're moving government offices from big cities to smaller areas because there's too many people. Take that into consideration. Process that for a second. It just hit me this morning as I was reading this. I was reading about all these new islands found by the Geospatial Information Authority of Japan, 
I'm not saying people are going to move there. I'm just saying that just like our resources, we have a lot more than we think with new technology. We can utilize them better. We can extract more of them. We can find new resources. We can recycle resources. It's that idea. And I remember that the government of Japan was going to pay people to move out of these big cities. They moved these government offices recently, or they're in the process of doing that. And then I read about the birth rate again, which I knew was really low anyway. And it's like, how can you have only 800,000 people born last year and you have roughly exactly double that that died? So you're going backwards. You don't have enough to even sustain the current population. And yet there's too many people. But there's only too many people in certain places. The rest of the country is pretty open. And a lot of the smaller cities in Japan, smaller towns, smaller areas are almost according to the government of Japan, uh, to the point underpopulated, the point of they're not really even on the map anymore. Because for decades, people across Japan have migrated to these big urban centers. They're looking for jobs, etc. It makes sense why people go to New York City or Los Angeles, depending on the kind of job you're looking for. And Tokyo is the most populated city in Japan. Uh, If you look at the overall overarching uh, surrounding area of Japan, it's not just 14 million. It's closer to 40 million. That's almost half of the entire country. So think about that for a second. Remember I, remember I said that if you look at some place like uh, Los Angeles, there's about 4 million people living in Los Angeles. But if you expand the, the bullseye to the surrounding area, then you get a lot more than 4 million people. Obviously, more than 4 million people live in, in uh, Los Angeles. Tokyo itself, and I'm not sure how they how they map this, but the population of Tokyo is about 14 million. However, when you take into effect the surrounding area, you know, uh, just like any other city, the, the 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 people that live in Tokyo are somewhere around almost triple that actually, somewhere around 40 million. There are only 125 million Japanese citizens probably way less than that who are actually Japanese literally about half the country or close to half the country about 40 to 45 percent of of all Japanese people live in Tokyo and the surrounding area so even if they have limited space with all these other islands most people live right there in that one area now that's not necessarily a bad thing because that's where all the opportunities are that's where people congregate but it provides this, this false perception that this is overpopulation at its unholiest, its unfinest. Overpopulation that means we need strict government and international decisions to be made to reset the whole system. There's just too many people, not enough resources. And that based on the evidence, just based on logical rational, practical questions like how can Japan have 125 million people have 37 million of them living roughly in one area, have a lot of smaller towns and cities that have poured out to go to the big areas so they have a lot of additional open space because people have left the, the, the open areas and gone to the more concentrated areas and have a birth rate that is declining. How, In other words, how can you have a city and a country that is populated in largely one area, but then the idea globally is Tokyo is a sign that the world is overpopulated, even though the rest of the country is pretty barren in terms of the concentration of people and still have 
a declining birth rate. Or flip it, how can you have so few people be born, so many people dying, more than about double the amount of people dying than being born, and you still have an overpopulation problem? The fact is you don't have an overpopulation problem. You have an overcrowding problem, and the government of Japan is trying to solve this problem by moving government facilities different places and by paying people to leave Tokyo. In fact, there's a lot of uh, American cities or states even that are paying people to move to them because there aren't enough people there. Uh, I think um, Oklahoma is one of them because I looked at it. It was like Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, there might have been some other cities. They were paying like 10 grand to move there. You had to, you know, the stipulations, you had to have like a job or re- work remotely. But if you could prove that, they just gave you 10 grand to move there. Uh, West Virginia was doing this. I think West Virginia was giving, was it, it was close to what the Japanese government's giving their people, like $7,500 or something to move to West Virginia. There just aren't, there aren't enough people there. They're trying to build their population. So they're either paying people to move to smaller areas because there's nobody that lives here. We want to build our population. Or in Japan, they're paying people to leave the crowded areas, move to the small areas because we got to get rid of, we got to get rid of some people. There's just too many people here. And yet they still have a falling declining birth rate, which is one of the lowest in the world. And yet with one of the oldest populations in the world, and, and yet they still have all this overcrowding. So when you see videos or pictures of Tokyo and you think, oh, the world's overpopulated, look at the surrounding countryside. Almost half the population of Japan lives in Tokyo or the surrounding area. That's where most of the people live. The rest of the, the islands are pretty open and they're encouraging and paying people to move to those areas. So again, it's not an overpopulation problem. Scarce resources and scarce space. There's plenty of space. There's plenty of resources. It's overcrowding. The presence of more people or things in a space than is essentially comfortable. Japan is not overpopulated. Japan is overcrowded in really specific, finite areas in the same way that New York is not overpopulated. Have you ever been to the countryside? You ever been to Western New York? That's where I lived in, in Rochester. There's tons of space and room. It's six hours, I think, from Rochester to New York City. And you barely see anything, you know, with the exception of driving through like Albany or something. There's like nothing. You know, I mean, I've driven across the country many times. Most of the drive, whether you're driving across the deep south or you're driving through Texas and Arizona up, you know, the southwestern journal, Nevada, Mexico, most of Idaho. The country is there's nothing. It's barren in a sense, if you will. So this is something to keep in mind. And the same thing again. With resources, metal, oil, how many trees are on planet Earth. None of this stuff gets considered, or if it is considered, it's immediately removed from the equation, from the conversation, from the modeling of population, and from climate change, and from all the other disasters that we're supposedly facing. Meanwhile, Japan and some other places are facing real disasters, real emergencies, where the, 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 you know Japan is a country will cease to exist in many generations if they don't fix the birth problem. Millions of people, I mean, there's it's a country of 125 million. 2 million, 1.5 to 2 million die a year, okay? If only half that are being born, every year you take a million off, a million off, a million off, a million off. Eventually, within a century, there wouldn't even be a Japanese people, essentially. That's a problem that is immediate. That is a threat now. That is a th- threat for future generations, your kids and your grandkids, 
And it's not just Japan that has the problem. Instead of focusing on that, which although the Japanese government certainly is focusing on that, instead of the rest of the world looking at Japan and saying, how can we help them to fix this? The problem is it's rising sea levels, which have been rising since the end of the last glacial maximum, with the exception of the younger driest period where things froze again. Taking things out of context. And the sick thing is this is what pisses me off. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm American. I'm from Florida. I live in Arizona. Now. I've been all over the country. I'm American. I'm not Japanese, but it pisses me off because you're going to use Tokyo as an example of overpopulation when that city is an example of why overcrowding is the issue in a country with a very small population compared to even small countries like the United States for population, 330 million, they have 125 million. You're going to use that as an example of why the world's overpopulated when their country is facing a birth issue. All the media, all the professors, all the intellectuals, all the people that supposedly care so much about the planet don't actually give a damn about people. And they certainly don't care about culture. Probably, especially the Japanese culture, because it's, like any culture, unique. But famously unique for its emphasis on certain things that, well, the new world doesn't want you to have, like self-respect or personal responsibility etc. Those are things that are dangerous in a world where governments collectively want total and absolute control over your mind, body, and your soul. We're going to talk a little bit about that when we come back from break in the next hour. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Please subscribe to the archive at thesecretteachings.info. If you haven't already, if you're in the process of going over to Aftermath, go to aftermath.media because that's where you're going to get the, 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 the subscription now. Otherwise, you can keep your old subscription. Email us, rdgable at yahoo.com if you have any questions or concerns. Hour number two after this. It's 2023, the year of the rabbit, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings on GroundZero.radio. Want to hear more of The Secret Teachings radio show? Search for the show on any radio or podcast player, or find links and a free archive at thesecretteachings.info. If you want to get rid of those annoying ads and get extra perks like access to the montage archive, digital copies of Ryan's books, and early access to the show, then subscribe. Subscribe to the full show archive at thesecretteachings.info. Visit the website and click the button that says subscribe. You can do so monthly, yearly, or through a one-time donation. Your support always keeps the secret teachings on the air. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. 
This is David John Oates from ReverseSpeech.com. You are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Listening to the Secret Teachings Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you so much for joining us. Hour number two. If you've not done so already, check out the new subscription service on Aftermath. You can become a premium subscriber to the Secret Teachings and to Ground Zero and get a lot of other goodies. Or you can keep your subscription on the secretteachings.info. Email us if you have questions. RD. G-A-B-L-E at yahoo.com or TST radio at protonmail.com and for your information the music as is every night the case is from White Bat Audio that's what you're hearing right now find us on social media as well Facebook and on Twitter TST underscore underscore radio tonight I read a story earlier in the day that got the gears turning in my brain, in my mind. And I put together tonight's show about the land of the rising sun or Nihon or the land of the rising sun and the declining birth rate or declining population. For those of you who haven't heard the news, over the last couple of months, this has been an international news story. Just this morning, there were new reports out today, March 6th, about how it is very feasible in the next century if all things continue to go in the direction that they are, that a country like Japan might, in essence, cease to exist. Largely because, almost exclusively because, last year, 800,000 Babies were born in Japan, 800,000. And I don't know if they consider them to be Japanese or because the Japanese are really particular. If you have a Japanese mom and let's say an American dad or vice versa, a lot of Japanese don't consider you to be Japanese. Just like if you have a Jewish father and a Gentile mother, a lot of people don't consider you to be Jewish. But 800,000 births, it is an incredibly low number compared to the 1.58 million deaths. And this has been a trend in Japan for years now. They also have one of the highest life expectancies in the world, with lots of people, about a third of the population over 65, 1 in 1,500 are over 100 years old. So you have this old population. They've lived a long time, starting to die off, just like any old population in the world. People starting to pass on. But the younger generations are not having enough children to keep up with even maintaining the current population. Now, this might not be an issue to you because you're in the UK or you're in Mexico or you're in the United States. You have your own problems to think about. It's not a problem that I stew on day and night. 
But I've always been fascinated with Japan, with the culture. It's a big thing in the West, just like in Japan, Western culture is a very big thing. They like English words and they like, uh, you know, our pop culture, just like we like their pop culture. And we, you know, we learn a little bit of Japanese people do to, to watch, you know, their, their anime or to read their, their little books or whatever the case is. And in my fascination with Japan, I've learned um, some basic Japanese and I'm in the process of learning a lot more. I've been studying Shintoism, which is the indigenous, not religion, not philosophy, but way of life of the, uh, it's the indigenous Japanese. I don't want to say religion, but let's just call it way of life like Buddhism. But, uh, you know, Buddhism is more so geared toward believing that the world is suffering and that after the suffering, we reach nirvana and Shintoism. It's not so much that it's more so the world is good. And as long as we do things that are uh, in service of what they call the kami, or it's really your internal self, it's like Jesus knocking on your heart's door and you letting Jesus in, as long as you're doing service to the kami or to your inner self, if you will, which is basically the secret teachings, the mystery schools, etc., then things are good. That, that, that could even mean material possessions could be uh, perceived as uh, good instead of you know, kind of heavy and 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 uh, wrong in Buddhism or in the West. We have a lot of possessions, but there's this New Age movement that mixes all these religions together and says, you know, possessions are a bad thing. Of course, possessions possess to be possessed by, etc. But you know, they could be used for good things. So that's kind of the idea of Shintoism. So I've I've been studying all of this for for actually a very long time, uh, more in depth recently, trying to change my, you know, my my study patterns and my study habits. I. Uh, I read the whole Dune series recently. That's the first fictional book series I've read since high school. Uh, and then I've started learning Japanese and studying the, the culture very intensely. I'm doing this every day. And in the, in the middle of this, you know, just kind of synchronistically, I, I heard this story this morning about the population crisis and uh, Japan's uh, prime minister, Fumio Kishida, advising that... Uh, the people that, you know, something needs to change. The country's going to disappear if we don't fix this birth uh, birth problem. And you just put it into context, there's 125 million Japanese, quote unquote, roughly. And if you, you lose about, it's somewhere around 1.6 million die on average, only 800,000 born. You're losing somewhere around 800,000 to a, to a million people a year. I mean, in 100 years, there wouldn't even be a Japan. So that's a that's a big that's a current crisis that Japan as a country has to deal with. And the weird thing is, I, I was thinking of, you know, Tokyo is one of the most iconic cities in the world, just like New York City. And Tokyo in in the like the central Tokyo has 14 million people. That's almost double what New York City has. New York City has like eight, eight and a half, pro- probably closer to nine now, but it, it's several million more than New York City has. But New York City and Tokyo are used as these iconic B-roll images in documentaries and movies about how overpopulated the world is. Now, in Tokyo, around the... I didn't know this. I did. I mean, I could have guessed, but I didn't have a specific number. But I read a CNN article this morning. Yes, yeah, sometimes I read CNN. I want to see what the top mainstream headlines are. They're estimating there are 37 million people that live in the surrounding area of Tokyo. Which means that 40... Roughly about 40 million people 
it's 37. It's, you know, you can't be entirely 100%. It's like 37 to 40 million, somewhere around there, live in Tokyo. There's only 125 million people in the country. So that means, and that's a rough estimate, it's like 125.7, 126 as of a couple of years ago. That means that that uh, getting close to half <laughs> of the country, earlier I said 40%, it's, but I'm saying that from the point of view of not everybody living there is actually Japanese. So a, a, a smaller percentage of the 125 are actually Japanese. So it's, it's probably closer to like 30 to 35% of the whole country lives in Tokyo. And that's a poster child for resetting the world because there's just too many people on planet Earth. New York City is another example. Once in a while, maybe Beijing or maybe Shanghai. I mean, put this into perspective. New York City has eight and a half million people living there. And I guess that depends on how far you expand, you know, Manhattan, the Bronx, etc. Shanghai has 25 plus million people. There are literally three times as many people living in Shanghai than New York City. That's a lot of people. You can just type in the most populated cities in the world. Just look at these numbers. One of the least populated cities in China has 11 million. That's Wuhan. One of the least populated cities in China has more people living in it than the one of the most populated cities in the United States. In fact, one of the least populated cities in China, the 11 million in Wuhan, is still 2 million more people than live in Mexico City, which is more than New York City. But of course, context matters a lot. How many people are living in this area like Jacksonville, Florida, one of the biggest cities in the country, but that's based on square mileage, not the city itself. How do you, how do you define city? How do you define population? Is it the, the central part of the city? Is it the suburbs, the surrounding areas, just like Phoenix and all the surrounding cities around Phoenix? So all that's important. Same thing when we examine resources, how many trees are on planet Earth, you know, how, how, how much oil we have, etc., Context matters a lot. And of course, we find new trees, we find new resources, we find new metals, we find new oil. We can also tap those resources better. We can become more efficient at utilizing them. We can recycle them. When I say we find new trees or new resources, I mean it's based on estimates. Uh, It's based on uh, mapping. It's based on math and formula. For example, speaking of Japan, as of the 1980s, 1987, a survey was conducted of Japanese islands. They found 6,852 islands. As of this week, there are a lot more than 6,852 islands, and they didn't just appear out of nowhere. According to the Geospatial Information Authority of Japan, there are 14,125 islands. That's a lot more than what was reported in 1987. They didn't just see these islands come out of the water. They were always there. But the survey mapping technology would group, in the 80s, it would group small islands together as larger islands. So you could have had 10 islands that were seen as one island. That happens a few times, then you get several hundred islands that look like maybe 10 islands. And so the context there, of course, matters a lot. And the context there is very, very important because it's the difference between running out of resources and, oh, we actually have a lot of resources. It's the difference between overpopulation and overcrowding. And there's a huge difference. Overpopulation means you don't have enough resources, you don't have enough space, and something needs to change now. Overcrowding, on the other hand, is just too many people in one place. It's not really that comfortable. 
It's not unsustainable necessarily. It's just not that comfortable. Could also be a safety hazard. But overpopulation gives eugenicists and Malthusians and psychopaths an excuse to justify their ideology by eliminating large parts of the population through various different means and methods, or at least justifying the idea or convincing people to eliminate themselves, like don't have children. You don't have to kill anybody, just sterilize the population, even if that sterilization is ideological. By ideological, I mean birth strikers, women that say, I'm not having kids because I'm going to save the planet. You've been sterilized. There are more ways than one to sterilize a population. You can sterilize them mentally or intellectually. Sterilize their brain. Brainwash them. That will also sterilize their reproductive system as well. Political and ideological sterilization. It's a very, very real thing. Overcrowding is just too many people in one place. And it doesn't give the Malthusians and the eugenicists and the psychopaths the justification The irony is, when you look at an overcrowding problem, too much traffic or too many houses close together, the issue there is is literally a problem that government should be fixing. They should be redesigning or rebuilding, you know, adding interstate, like here in Tucson, we don't have an interstate that goes around, you know, the city. You could just have, we have the, I think it's the I-10. So you can go on that, but to get to the other side of the city, there aren't any other roads. You just have to drive through all the potholes and the t- the crazy drivers and and you have to drive through the homeless people. There's no way to get around. You just have to take those roads. That's actually an issue that government can and should be addressing. That's the kind of an issue that the trillion dollar Build Back Better package was supposed to go to addressing. Fixing the infrastructure. But governments don't want to do that. They want to tell you that they're going to fix it and then take the money or they're more interested in reducing population and part of the way they can sterilize your brain and sterilize you intellectually and ideologically is by allowing for the dilapidation and the decay and the deterioration to occur and once that happens it justifies well the city's really dilapidated it's really it's just decaying it's it's deteriorating it's gross something needs to change this world is just so ugly and disgusting and then the eugenicists say it is ugly and disgusting if we just stop having kids we could save the world it's a man-made manufactured problem or a man-made manufactured myth The world is not overpopulated. The world is overcrowded. Japan is a prime example of that. And so here's the question. Japan has about 14 million people living in Tokyo. The surrounding area, it's estimated 37 million. Japan has, in the last year, seen only 800,000 babies born. And I don't know if they mean two Japanese parents or if they're talking about you know, one Japanese parent and one foreign parent, because they're very, like any country, you're very, very particular about, you know, the culture and the identity. Jews do the same thing. If you have a Jewish father, but not a Jewish mother, you're not technically Jewish, right? Same thing in Japan. So I don't know how, I don't know how they're calculating this, but if that's just, I mean, if that's everybody, that's, it's, it's an even worse situation for the Japanese, but if it's 800,000, just Japanese, it's still a, a terrible situation so much so that the government is trying to do anything and everything to solve the problem. And part of that problem is 
first of all, fixing the overcrowding issue, which apparently Tokyo and the Japanese government, as corrupt as they probably are, and they they just gave five billion to Ukraine too. They're just as corrupt as the West. But at least they can understand, oh, part of our problem is we have too many people living in one spot. In fact, we have 37 roughly million people living in one spot, and we only have 125 million people living on all the islands. So maybe if we move some of the people there, we, we can kind of, we can kind of uh, smooth it out, and we won't have an overcrowding problem like we do. They still have to fix the birth problem, because 1.6 million die uh, on average, the last couple of years, last year was 1.58 million. And then half of that were born. So you're losing double what are, what are born. You're losing to people that are dying because they have a very old and aging population because they tend to live a, a lot longer. That's, that's a current right now issue. So the question is, how can Tokyo be a sign of overpopulation? It is a sign of overcrowding. In a country with a birth rate, so low. Why is the Japanese government paying people to move out of Tokyo? They're paying them about $7,000. It's somewhere around $7,000 U.S. dollars to leave Tokyo. There's just too many people there. And you think about that. We have something similar in the United States. We have places that just have nobody. So states like Oklahoma, states like uh, West Virginia, they're actually paying people to move there because they don't have enough people. It's a similar kind of a, a thing happening in Japan. They just have too many people in their biggest populated city, so they're telling people, we'll pay you to move out of the city. These are all overcrowding issues. These are issues that governments should be dealing with, and you can't blame people or government, really, because people go to the areas where they have the best job opportunities. You know, like if you're in technology and you're a you're one of the top graduates at your university. You're probably going to end up in Silicon Valley. Uh, if you're one of the, we can think of endless examples. If you're one of the, the, the few people that make it in the entertainment business, where are you going to go? You're going to go to New York City. You're going to go to Los Angeles. It's the same thing everywhere. If you're in Japan, you want the best opportunity. You want, you know, want to um, have a good job. You go to Tokyo. And there are plenty of other places where you can get good jobs, but that's where most of the opportunity is. And the more people that go there, more opportunity, but also more crowding. And when there's more crowding, it provides us with this perception that the world is overpopulated. But there's a huge difference, as I said, between those words. And the difference between those words is, is let's call it revolutionary in terms of, of ideology. Now, I want to look at something else, though. We asked that question, how can Tokyo be a sign of overpopulation, certainly overcrowded, when it has such a low birth rate? To the point where the Japanese government is now just saying that if, if we don't fix this problem, Prime Minister uh, Fumio Kishida said that, you know, the, and, and Masako Mori was quoted in uh, the news this morning, the country is going to, quote, disappear if this problem is not solved, they have one of the lowest birth rates in the world. This is a problem right now. So my other question, though, which builds on that is I don't I do not believe do not do space N O T do not believe that there is some big conspiracy here. 
But there is something that's quite interesting. If you, I, I have been, I'm sure some of you have, I know we actually have some listeners in Japan, some American listeners in Japan. So correct me if I'm wrong, but from, from what I understand from the historical record, you know, Japan recently, like within our, our grandparents' time, uh, and I'm 32, grandparents, great-grandparents' time, um, I actually met my great-grandmother. She, I, so, you know, within that time frame, Japan has been um, introduced to the international community. Japan as a country was only really opened up back in what, the 1860s, around the time of our civil war here, uh, Japan was opening up to the rest of the world. And people were going to Japan, and there was, there was a period uh, you know, of closure again. And even today, Japan is a very hard country to get into. It's not like the U.S. You can't just run across the border. Um, but Japan really opened up in the 1860s during the Meiji Restoration. And they were modernized in the 1860s. Um, 1868, the Tokugawa Shogun, the you know the the generals, the famous generals uh, who ruled Japan uh, during the feudal period, lost his power, and the emperor was restored during the Meiji Restoration. And this is when Japan became. They call it, I mean, Meiji means enlightened, so it means enlightened rule. Meiji period or the Meiji restoration is this enlightened restoration of Japan, kind of a renaissance period. And throughout the next, well, let's say 75 years until World War II, Japan became a lot more modernized. Japan was introduced or people were introduced to this foreign land. It's not that people had never stumbled upon Japan before. They weren't completely isolated. I mean, maybe from the West more so than the East. Obviously, they had conflicts and had occupied, you know, plenty of, of Asian nations, uh, Korea, Taiwan, etc. And you get to this imperialist point during World War II, right? And it's it's pretty well known historically that, the you know, the Japanese, they formed part of what is called the axis of evil, right? George Bush tried to re- recreate that. Uh, in the early 2000s, the, the new axis of evil, Iraq and Afghanistan and Iran and, you know, all of Israel's enemies. But, you know, the uh, the axis of evil, you had Italy, which was fascist, a totally different type of fascism than we think about today. You had Germany, which was national socialist, and then you had imperial Japan, the axis of evil. And of course, it always gets sort of left out of the history books, but the reason that... Um, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor was because they had a lot of um, problems with resources and food and Western governments, the United States government, uh, Roosevelt actually froze Japanese assets. Japan sent a fleet to attack Pearl Harbor. Roosevelt knew about it. The Germans even warned the Americans the Japanese are going to attack. Roosevelt didn't want to do anything about it because he, he wanted to use it as a pretext for war, enter into the war, because that's what the bankers and the power elite wanted. The Germans didn't want, Hitler didn't want America involved in the war. So that's why the Germans said, hey, the Japanese are going to attack you. We don't want, this is, this is not a conflict with you. We don't want to have a conflict, at least right now. So you should probably be aware that they're going to attack uh, in the Pacific. This is well-documented history, by the way. So the Japanese attacked. There was provocation for that. The Germans even warned us, just like 
several the Germans even warned us that there was going to be an attack uh, on 9-11, a terrorist attack in New York City. Do you know that? The Germans actually said, hey, you're going to be attacked. Actually, I think like dozens of countries, the Italians warned us. Uh, there were uh, Arabic countries that warned us. Israel reportedly warned us, probably because they had a lot of inside information about that attack. The point to all this is that was justification to enter into World War II, but it was also justification to exercise emergency police powers here at home. Japanese citizens, etc., were rounded up and taken to camps, right? And those call them concentration camps or call them whatever you will, but they weren't great conditions. In fact, there was, I didn't know this, but my friend Joe here in Tucson, shout out to Joe over there on the west side, uh, close to where I am here in Tucson, he told me, I didn't I didn't see it yet, but he told me there's a Japanese prison camp up on top of, uh, what was it, I think Mount Lemmon here in Tucson. There were camps all over the country. Funny thing is, Japanese people don't ask for reparations for something that happened within living memory. But that's a whole nother, whole nother story. The point of me explaining this to you and telling you this is because after the Meiji Restoration, this enlightened Renaissance rule, the overthrow of the Shogun, and then moving into Imperial Japan, World War II, Japan did not think, this is really important, did not think that it was possible to lose the war. I mean, soldiers might have felt, I'm not saying this was like a, an absolute thing, but the general culture of Japan was, we, we really don't, we don't lose. We move to be perfect in everything we do. There's even a word for this in Japanese called kaizen. K-A-I, ka-i, kaizen. It means always improving. This is kind of the philosophy behind uh, Toyota, for example. This is what, I mean, I have a, I have a Corolla. Uh, you know, these cars are famous for going three, 400,000 miles. That's their philosophy. Not all Japanese products are like that, but when that philosophy is applied, Japan is well known for everything from not only cars, but basic, simple gift wrapping or how they exchange money in envelopes whether that's a business relationship or even friends and family, you don't hand somebody money. You put it in an envelope that's decorated, has the name on it, you know, because they're famous for their aesthetics. They're famous for what is generally termed shikata, which means to serve. She means to serve and kata means form, to serve form. In other words, it can be defined as a way of doing something. So there's a way of eating, there's a way of writing, there's a way of thinking. There's a way of living. These are all things that over generations were, I don't want to say beaten in a negative way, perhaps in some ways negative, but they were really put into the, the, the minds of the Japanese people for hundreds of years when Japan was opened up to the rest of the world. And then later, that's the Meiji Restoration in the 1860s, 1868, then the imperial period, Japan didn't think they could lose the war. Then after the war, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, uh, ironically destroyed a lot of their industry. And then, of course, we we end up on the losing end of that in the long run because, you know, some of the best cars in the world are made over there. And, you know, a lot of our cars suck. Uh, American cars kind of suck compared to those cars. Even Germans make really good cars. Also kind of an irony there. That's the breath of life, though. And the way that things work in Japan, the, the, the kata or the form, the shikata, when you apply that to Japanese culture today, it is waning. And I think that's kind of the whole point of this with the population issue, but the overcrowding issue in Tokyo and apply that to the rest of the world. A real unique culture, a problem that persists everywhere, but it's kind of 
it's kind of different in Japan because they're addressing the root source of the problem, low birth rates, which are all over the world, by the way. And it, it kind of means that it's not so much China is the blueprint for the world, maybe by terms of, of a police state, but it's really Japan, the land of the rising sun, that is a blueprint for the rest of the world. And I'm going to tell you what that means when we come back from break. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. More after this. Don't go anywhere. From para-history and the paranormal to the parapolitical and para-occult, you're listening to The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Want to hear more of The Secret Teachings radio show? Search for the show on any radio or podcast player or find links and a free archive at thesecretteachings.info. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. Hi, it's David Childress from Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. You know you can listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on Ground Zero Radio. I don't need it. Or in the free archive on our website, thesecretteachings.info, or on any radio or podcast player or application. I don't need it. But you can also subscribe to our ad-free archive, now hosted by Aftermath.media. Definitely don't need it. There's the basic and premium option. You get the montages, my digital books, and more. For those of you who already have a Secret Teaching subscription, you can still keep that subscription. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info or aftermath.media and subscribe today. I need it! So if you've ever been to Japan, you'll probably know that Japan has a very unique, every country, of course, has a uniqueness to it, every culture, but they have a very unique, unique way of doing things. They even have a name and a series of words for that way of doing things. They call it shikata. Shikata means to serve form. It is a way of doing things. For example, tabe, which is a word that means to eat or eating, tabemas. Tabe kata means the way of eating. And that includes the way of holding your chopsticks, the way of placing your chopsticks when you're not using them. Uh, you know, you don't play with them. Uh, the way that uh, you uh, eat your food and the way that things in Japan are, for example, tipping is offensive in Japan. That's a very offensive thing that here in the West, we don't see that as offensive. Every culture has these, you know, unique qualities to it. So when you think of Tabe kata, it's a way of eating that is very, very, very specific. Uh, something that we don't think about, and I'm sure a lot of Japanese people don't think about it anymore, but there is a standard way of doing things that traditionally in Japan was the way that you did it. 
Every culture has a way of doing things, but there's a specific reason. In a lot of cultures that's lost, in Japan, they have you know, an understanding of, of where these ideas come from. The same thing with writing. Kakikata, or kange kata, way of thinking, or ikikata, the way of living. These are the ways that Japanese culture has developed over hundreds, over thousands of years before you know, Japan was even a country. And when you look at Japan opening up to the, the, the rest of the world, uh, the fall of the shogun and uh, the ending of the feudal period, and sometime in the 1860s, late 1860s, 1868, the restoring of power to the emperor and a period known as Enlightenment or the Meiji Restoration, which brought Japan into the modern world. And then later with Imperial Japan, World War II, Japan was obviously destroyed in, in large parts economically. Uh, this was one of the, the one things that really forced Japan to attack the United States, although the Germans warned us that this was going to happen we froze Japanese assets. We forced them and provoked them to attack. Roosevelt was not the good guy. Uh, Japanese people don't ask for reparations today for those concentration camps in the United States. That's a separate issue, though. But after the war, after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan had this decimated industry. And when they built back, they really did build back better. And as they became part of more part of the Western world, maintaining their the ethos became a little bit more difficult. But they applied these ancient ways of doing things or not so ancient ways, traditional ways of doing things to everything. Kaizen, for example, is doing things that become more perfect as you do them. The intention of Kaizen is to always harmonize and always do better. And this is part of the, mode, uh, the, the motto of companies like Toyota, for example. Uh, it's also the reason why uh, you know, Japanese products are not only you know, uh, very, usually very well made, uh, but the Japanese products last a very long time. Uh, and why the way that the Japanese business world works, uh, it thrust a country that was coming out of periods of, of conflict and, and, and a period of devastation after world war ii with all these resources and opportunities japan within a very short period of time like within our our grand i'm 32 within our grandparents generation uh, a world power one of the top economies in the world and anybody who researches japan even briefly realizes to be it's because of the kata it's because of the way that they do things it's because of the the shikata the the way that you you serve and the way that you do things uh, it's because of the Kaizen, and it's also because of a just a traditional, speaking generally, a traditional way of doing things that, as opposed to being oppressive and preventing people from maintaining their traditions, like, for example, in China, you have an oppressive communist state that takes over in the 40s, and it oppresses Art and culture and tradition, these are the four olds of Mao, tradition, etc., and destroys Chinese culture. But no matter if it was the emperor or, or the shoguns or whatever the case is, Japan has always maintained this kata form 
uh, even under the Shogun, which we really romanticize here in the West, uh, a totally different power than the, the, the communist trash that took over China. And Japan has done terrible things, by the way. Uh, the, the terrible things they've done to other Asian countries. Uh, there's a really good but terrifying uh, book uh, about the rape of Nanking or Nanjing, uh, the Nanjing massacre, what the Japanese did. They've done terrible things. Okay, so this isn't a glorification of Japan. I'm saying that culturally, though, since they've been isolated for so long, there are certain elements of Japanese culture that esoterically and speaking in occult terms mirror ancient ideas and concepts that are really lost to much of the rest of the world. And what I mean by that is, when you think of the, the kata system, the way of doing certain things, putting your life in order, etc. I mean, these are things that, when you think about the, the, the ways in which the mystery schools in Greece or in Egypt, etc., the way that they function, what they taught, it's very similar to what the Japanese, although they were isolated, it's what the Japanese preserved within their cultural makeup. It's what made them Japanese. And they are still to this day as a people, although declining in culture and declining in the number of people being born there, as we talked about earlier, uh, why they are unique in a world of uniqueness. And of course, that strokes the ego of Japanese people. But really, when you step back and look at it objectively, Japan is, is a truly unique place, largely because they have been shielded not only from the rest of the world for so long up until recent times, but largely because, like when you find an uncontacted tribe, it's a little bit different, but kind of the same concept. But likewise, even from thousands of years ago with uh, cataclysmic changes on planet Earth, you'd think islands, in the case of Japan, I'm sure they were rocked by cataclysm, but historians will tell you that not as severely as other places. So the people living on those islands at the time, however advanced or unadvanced they were, were sort of shielded from the other things that were happening around the planet. You know, places that ended up underwater that were low-lying, etc. So there are lots of different angles, lots of different ways to look at this. And, and the reason I'm, I want to bring this to your attention, the reason that this is fascinating to me is because after the Meiji Restoration 1868, after Imperial Japan was destroyed... And everything was rebuilt. The culture of kata and kaizen rapidly brought them into the what we call now the 21st century. And they're one of the most dominant economic powers in the world. One of the most culturally influential powers in the world. And in a super, super short period of time. And it's strange because it almost feels, again, this is, quote, as I said earlier, not, N-O-T, big letters, a conspiracy theory. But Japan is really a blueprint for the new world. We always say China's the blueprint for the new world, and maybe that's the case in terms of the police state. Okay, But tradition, I'm not current, but traditional, and there is tradition in the current, but traditional Japanese ideology and culture, you can perceive it any way you choose, but traditional Japanese culture and that idea of shikata and that idea of kaizen, the way that although it led to this explosion of success in the 20th century, in the 21st century now, Japan is facing a lot of other problems. Japan is facing a low birth rate. 
one of the lowest ever recorded. It's consistent every year. It's less and less and less. It's under 800,000. And they have millions of people that are dying every year, even though they have a population of only about 125 million. And that's arguable if that's even the number, because like with Jewish people, you know, are both of your parents Jewish or both of your parents Japanese? Is your mother Jewish? Is your mom Japanese? It depends, you know, whether or not you'd be actually Jewish or you'd be actually Japanese. It's a very similar concept. In fact, there's actually a book written about the similarities between Jewish history and culture and uh, and Japanese history and culture. Uh, I was trying to find that. I couldn't find a copy of it. It's kind of rare, but interesting little connection there. But the point is, less than 800,000 born, millions dying a year, a, a population that compared to most countries is relatively small. And for all this economic and cultural power, Japan is really an anomaly. Part of that's because they've been isolated for so long and then they come into the world uh, the world uh, market, if you will, in the last hundred and let's say, we'll say 150 years roughly, which is a short period of time uh, in terms of human society, human development. A lot can happen in that time, but it's a short period of time. And now because Tokyo is so overcrowded, it's not overpopulated. The government's paying people to move out of Tokyo. 37 million people live in Tokyo in the surrounding area. That's like 30 to 35 percent of the whole population. And I say Japan is a blueprint for the new world because Japan, with this idea of kata and the culture and kaizen, which we see lead to this unbelievable success in the 20th and 21st century, but because of the isolation and because of the the limited number of of people there, that culture, which I would say the idea of kaizen and shikata is, is quite ancient and it's been preserved there. I think a lot of cultures had a similar way of looking at the world. I don't think Japan is unique in that way. But now because of this this issue with people being born and the intermingling as much as they've tried to stop it of other cultures within their culture and generational gaps in Japan, young people not wanting anything to do with the past, etc. You've seen what is a unique for Japan, certainly for the rest of the world, probably something every culture has experienced in terms of, you know, development, uh, uh, what we call the Shikata or the Kaizen. And now Japan is seems to be, at least population-wise, on a decline. And it's almost as if Japan is a blueprint for the natural and artificial destruction of human enlightenment because as the population declines, as the old generations that can remember the old world and, and traditional stories, as they get older and as they die, you're left with a generation that is almost exclusively westernized. And that westernized culture, not that the West is bad by any means, But that westernized culture of consumerism has led Japanese people to gain a lot of weight and become a lot less healthy. Uh, It's led to a deterioration of shikata and kaizen. And in losing those elements, they're losing the very essence of what makes them Japanese traditionally. They're losing the very essence of what makes them such a unique, isolated country traditionally. So again, Japan is kind of a blueprint for, for this new world because... The new world, as we've been told by powerful governments and prime ministers and politicians of all shades and shapes and sizes and affiliations and identities, as we've been told by international organizations, corporations and banks, the new world is a consolidation of all power into a central source, a global currency, a global culture where everything is kind of merged and mixed and mashed together where you can't have your own individual culture because that's racist. And you can merge it with other cultures, but if you want to 
have other cultural things in your culture. That's appropriation. So it's forcing people to stay within a culture that is artificial and then it's really deteriorating, mashed together, like slammed together so the pieces go everywhere. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows how to do anything except push the buttons and pull the levers. And everybody is equally as dumb as the next person next to them. And if you aren't dumb, you do ask questions or you're not dumb, you're actually very smart and you have the courage to ask questions you're a threat to the state and you have to be eliminated. This is not a world that I'm talking about is going to appear overnight with a one world government, you know, stuff like that. I'm saying conceptually, like the Illuminati is, a, is an actual organization, an actual secret society in the 1700s, 1776, Adam Weishaupt, but it's also a concept. The world government is a real thing, but it's also a concept. And if we use the Shikata or the Kaizen principle and we see the deterioration of that, just like Chinese culture was obliterated by the communist takeover. I mean, it's just as rich as Jap uh, Japanese culture, just as rich as any culture for that matter. And when you get rid of the Shikata or you get rid of the Kaizen, when you get rid of the culture and the traditions, etc., people lose their identity. The older Japanese generation is watching the younger Japanese generation lose their cultural identity. It's not necessarily a conspiracy. It's the result of a country becoming less isolated and opening up to the rest of the world. But when the rest of the world or a large part of the rest of the world is on this collision course with Armageddon, if you will, not because of climate change, that's not it. It's because of artificial, manipulated, man-made, manufactured myths, a dilapidating, decaying, and deteriorating society. Look at how disgusting and dirty a lot of American cities have gotten recently crime and trash like literally dirty literal trash literal filth literal everything that is just it's gross you feel that things are getting worse the world is falling apart when it's not but the way that your city is like here in tucson certainly not as bad as rochester was when i lived there but it's because the leaders in these in these cities allow it to become that or the state allows it to become that they can clean it up they can fix the problems. They don't want to, though, because then they can maintain more power. They don't want people knowing what to do and how to do it. You don't want people working for the betterment of what you're doing, like for the betterment of doing your best to help other people as well. It's this idea of just help other people. Don't worry about yourself, which funny enough, th that concept is in Japan. It's think of other people first. And don't just try to, it's that Zen, um, Confucius, Buddhist idea, just live harmoniously and peacefully. But that doesn't mean you let people run over you. That doesn't mean you let people use you and abuse you. There's another way to interpret and to perceive that. For example, in Japan, like, like you know, you know, the, the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments and, you know, the, the Code of Hammurabi or Hammurabi, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, there And there are plenty of others as well. In fact, if you read my book, Occult Arcana, uh, I have a whole section on the Ten Commandments, the Colbrin Bible, uh, on the, they call it the, I think it's called the Code or something to that effect of uh, Hammurabi. He was a king. I'm just, this is off the top of my head. I'm trying to remember it. But these are all like lessons, like the, the, the lessons or the laws of Mott, right? Mott. 
uh, in Egypt, M-A-A-T or M-A apostrophe A-T. Uh, the Ten Commandments, the Colburn Bible, the Confessions of Moth, the Egyptian Book of the Dead. You know, I do not offend the God who is at the helm. I do not harm my kinsmen. I do not kill. I am not an adulterer. These are the things you had to confess in order to proceed into the other world, uh, part of the Hall of Judgment in Egypt where the pharaohs passed and, and you had the Eater of the Dead and Anubis and all that, the feather in the heart. Uh, Japan also has a similar kind of a code, and it was developed by Taishi Shotoku. Uh, his real name was Umayado, or Prince Shotoku. Uh, he lived in 574 through 622 CE, and he's actually credited with uh, developing uh, the, the name. We, we call Japan Japan, but Japan has gone by many names in the past. Uh, he's credited with calling uh, Japan Nihon, or the land of the rising sun. And uh, the story is kind of all over the place in terms of how he came to developing his famous 17-article constitution. And the 17-article constitution, actually, was one was given to the Buddhists, one was given to the Confucianists, one was given to shrine workers or Shintoists, one was given to politicians, and one was given to common people. So you have Buddhism, Confucianism, and Shintoism, three major religions, like the three legs of a stool, they need each other to hold the stool up, to hold the seat up, and then to common people, and then also to the leaders of the common people, the politicians. Now, a lot of people look at this, the the um, the 17 article constitution of Taishi Shotoku, and say that this is an imperial decree. It just means follow the, the 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 lead of the emperor, do whatever the emperor tells you to do, and you know it's just oppression. And certainly, you can view it that way, but traditionally. Japanese scholars and others, I mean, mystics and occultists will tell you that it's, it's a little more sophisticated and complex than that. And the first of the Constitution is what I just said about peace. Value, harmony, and avoid quarreling. Number two is reserve the three treasures of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Number three is obey imperial commands as earth obeys heaven. And this is the one, just like with many other parts of this Constitution, that makes people think, well, this is just an imperial decree to get people to follow orders. In a sense, yes, but when a king or when an emperor, etc., has power, conceptually, um, as Evola said, the organic state is really a state in which the king or the emperor is an emissary, is a follower of God. There's a divine higher power. Nobody is above the law, if you will. What it means is, you follow the commands of your uh, superior, which is famous in Japanese society, the bowing and the respect and the types of, even the language has so many different variations, respectful um, and casual or formal and casual uh, Japanese. The way that you say certain things like uh, Ohio would be like, hello, you say that to your friends, but you don't say that to superior, you'd say Ohio gozaimasu or something to that effect. S same kind of a thing. There's different levels of um uh, of, of, the, of sophistication and different levels of, of what you do in certain situations. Other languages have that. Of course, it's the whole world that has had, uh, you know, that have ha I think have, that has been stripped of uh, sophistication in culture and in society. And the idea that an imperial command is just oppression, in Japan, historically, it wasn't. Because Prince Shotoku, when he when he wrote this, or when he, in some stories, he found these clay tablets or these clay pots that had these tablets or scrolls or whatever, kind of like Moses with the Ten Commandments. It's the idea that the king and the emperor are actually servants of God. So anything the king or the emperor tells you is 
something that God wants you to do. Now, this can be obviously extremely abused, just like Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, said God wants you to get a vaccine. But again, the the idea of the organic state is that, yes, these leaders have power over you, but God has power over them. And furthermore, what that means is they have a responsibility and a duty to, for example, number four in the Constitution is avoid attention-seeking, avoid flashy behavior. Number five is deal with public matters that serve the law and that serve the people and avoid bribes, avoid corruption. The rest of the Constitution, at least for the, the Imperials, is to serve the people as true servants of the people and not just perceptual representatives of the people. So these ideas have been really misconstrued, really taken out of context. And this is something that does not usually get grouped together with, say, the Ten Commandments or the Colburn Bible or the Confessions of Mott or the Egyptian Book of the Dead. But, you know, in Asia, all of Asia, China, Japan, they all have similar kinds of doctrines that are very esoteric in nature and then are not so simple that you can just reduce them to it's oppressive, it's a rule, it's a law. They're just associating themselves with God so that they can tell you what to do. Certainly that kind of a thing happens, but again, the idea of the organic state is something that throughout history has existed. The, the Mayan culture had a kind of organic state. Uh, the Japanese, generally speaking, throughout history, depending on the time frame and the time period, have had a kind of organic state, with the exception, more recently, of the Shogun area, uh, era. So these are things that are very esoteric. These are things that are very mystical, but they're also very rational, historical things that you can analyze and look at and research for yourself. So when you when you eliminate the Ten Commandments or you eliminate Taishi Shotoku's uh, uh, constitution, if you will, or you eliminate our Bill of Rights or you eliminate Shikata or Kaizen or you eliminate uh, our constitution here in the United States or even our Declaration of Independence. What you end up with is a decaying, deteriorating, dilapidated society and culture. And man-made, manufactured myths masquerade as reality, such as the world is overpopulated. Meanwhile, Japan has a population crisis, and they do have an overcrowding problem, so they're paying people to leave the big city. This is something that I find to be fascinating because it is something that we don't think about. We just hear these these political talking points like about climate change or population. And then we go back and forth, Republicans, Democrats, etc. And obviously, if you've if you've never been outside of the country, whether you're in Canada or you, I've never been to Japan, I'd love to go to Japan. That's one of my life goals. I'd like to go in the next couple of years. There's a lot of people in Japan. I mean, wherever you go in the world, they, they follow American politics, right? It's a big thing. You know, America, we are the kind of that that beacon everybody looks up to, whether that's because you want to take the wealth or the opportunity or you really want to be a part of something or you're just interested in the world stage and the so-called leader of the world, whatever the case is. Uh, this is something that the rest of the rest of the world's interested in, in, in how we do things. So the the rest of the world, whether it's the U.S. running things or it's some United Nations, has us on this path to eliminate all the traditional elements, whether that's the communists and the four olds in China, or it's the shikata and the kaizen of Japan. Some of it's a natural erosion. Some of it's, well, it's inorganic. It's artificial erosion, all aimed at the destruction of 
enlightenment or individualism or even collectivization. Collectivization is not always negative. Individualism is certainly not always negative. There are different ways to define these things. Again, the organic state is an example of that. How can a country like Japan have so few people, relatively speaking, have a population crisis and still have overcrowding that we are told is overpopulation? It's all about perception and how we see these things. The land of the rising sun, economic and cultural superpower, is really the land of declining birth rates, declining culture. Whether that's natural because of opening this isolated country up to the rest of the world, or it's a result of Western dogmas and doctrines that have corrupted Japanese culture, if you will. It's like things have corrupted American culture. The culture we have today is not American culture, really. And the culture that, you know, the black people, it's a black culture. Rap music and wearing your pants around your ankles is not black culture. That's a degenerate and disgusting and very offensive, even to me as a white person, very offensive idea. These are fake cultures. And when we get to the root of our real cultures, which empower us, that's what is offensive. And that's what is a threat to powerful people that don't want you to know how to do anything. They don't want to improve anything. They want to destroy everything because it gives them more power. How do they get more power? Well, because you look around and say everything is so ugly and gross and everything is so violent and there's diseases and wars and trained irrelevance and what are we going to do? And then the corporations and the banks and the politicians come forward and say, we've got the solution. Give us all your power. Don't have kids anymore. That's what has been done. That is what we are currently experiencing every time we turn on the news, go to school, you name it. I hope tonight's show has given you a slightly different perspective on that and how something as simple as Japan has a population crisis is actually a more complicated, sophisticated, but simple to understand historical and cultural and economic and and utterly, to me, fascinating history that can be analyzed in context with a simple story like that to show you that, well... It's a couple of news stories, a couple of reports, but no one's linking that to the fact that we use Tokyo as an example of the world being overpopulated, but they have a population crisis. How can that happen at the same time? There's something else going on here. And the deterioration of Shikata and Kaizen and Japanese culture is an example, whether it's organic or artificial. I think most of it's organic. It's an example of where world superpowers want to take the world. They do not want you to know the, the right way of doing things instinctually. They don't want you to know that you can always improve what you're doing. They want you to give up and give in and just not participate, including don't have children, because if you don't have kids, oh, you'll save the world. No, you won't actually save the world. And if you do, you're going to save it for them, not for yourself, and certainly not for future generations. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe to The Secret Teachings on Aftermath Media. We have the premium and then the basic subscriptions. If you're already a subscriber of The Secret Teachings, at thesecretteachings.info, you can keep that subscription. We're still transitioning it all, so if you have questions, email me at rdgable at yahoo.com. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can always buy one of my books at www.thesecretteachings.info. I think you really, really will enjoy these books, Occult Arcana, The Technological Elixir, Liberty Shrugged, 
massive books, lots of reviews on the website. Check it out. And of course, if you haven't already, check out our fundraiser for Contact in the Desert. A couple of people already donated to that. Facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings or Ryan Gable, my account, and you'll see the, the fundraiser promo. Tomorrow night, we have a unique and different show for you. I think we're going to have Suzanne Ross on the show and talk about the spirit and the soul and some things that maybe we haven't discussed a lot of here on The Secret Teaching. So stay tuned to that tomorrow night. Stay safe, stay informed, and stay healthy in the meantime. And we'll talk to you on the next broadcast. Mm-hmm.